All right, let's get back in our study. We got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we're going to be talking about eternal judgment. We started it last week. It's one of our foundations. Remember our six foundations? What are our six foundations? The foundation of repentance from dead works. We talked about that several weeks ago. The faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection, and we're in this idea of eternal judgment. And, and the way the Hebrews writer puts it is that he wants these foundations to be very secure and for believers to really understand these things so that they can build a firm life in, in, in a really chaotic, shifting world. So we, we're just in eternal judgment. And it's one of the uh, least popular uh, subjects in all the Bible. And it's one of the most concerning subjects in all the Bible. But it is all throughout, as old boy said, from kiver to kiver, <laughs> from cover to cover. It's, it, you know, somebody said from, it, it's from leather to leather. <laughs> This idea of eternal judgment, that we are accountable to God. So let's talk a little bit about that. Next week, we'll be on this subject again. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the great white throne judgment uh, for unbelievers. We're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ and the different crowns that's mentioned in Scripture. So I believe that'll be a, a little bit more uplifting idea when we get to the judgment seat of Christ as well. So, all right. So this idea of eternal judgment, our words, choices, and actions have eternal consequences. You know that? I mean, the Bible is very, very clear that we will all be held accountable to God. And everybody, nobody gets exempt from this. Nobody, no matter what your position, authority, status, anything like that. Everybody is accountable to God. And the final judgment is in everybody, is in all of our futures. Uh, that's going to be a great day for some. And it's going to be uh, the worst day ever for a lot of people too. Now, we, we talked about this last week. This is a little bit of review, but judgment is when God sets things right. You know, it's when He is going to make everything right. Uh, what He's going to have to do in order to make everything right, He's going to have to put down the wrong and He'll exalt the righteous or reward the righteous is what we're talking about. So judgment is, it happens in two ways. Rewarding the righteous, which is the positive side, and punishing the wicked, which is a is very negative and very unpopular subject today. In fact, nobody wants to be held accountable for anything nowadays, it looks like. Somebody the other day said, he said, I'm so old, I used to remember it was against the law to break the law. You know, um, unfortunately, that's true. But in God's book, nobody's going to get away with anything. You know, not you, me, Joe Blow, whoever it might be. We're all going to be held accountable. And we'll be either on the positive side or the negative side of judgment. Now let's go over here to Ezekiel 20, 18, verse number 20. Let's look at this passage right here. In fact, you may want to read... Ezekiel 18, I think we looked at it coming through maybe the idea of repentance and all that kind of thing uh, several, several weeks back. But Ezekiel 18 is just loaded. It's got a lot of, a lot of good content, but it just talks about the idea of us being responsible uh, to God. Now, just, I just want to read verse number 20. Just verse 20. It says, the soul who sins shall die. Guess who that is? And what, what does Paul say in Romans? For all have sinned. So we're all kind of in that category, right? It's one of the reasons death is with us. Go back to Genesis 3 and see that. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. Now, if you go into context of, of Ezekiel 18, he's talking about everybody's going to pay for their own sins. I mean, you know, if, if my daddy did something wrong, it's not going, his, his wrong is not going to pass. The judgment part of it's not going to pass. Now, unfortunately, if my father does wrong, how does that train me? It trains me to do wrong. Now, I can break that cycle through the grace of God, 
but we know this generational thing is a for real thing. It really does happen. And when, you know, people talk about generational curses, generational iniquities, uh, generational patterns in families and all those kind of things. It's, it's, it's a real thing. But here Ezekiel says that everybody's going to be responsible for their own sins. Okay. Now, I like this phrase right here. It says, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And that, that's an interesting way to put it. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And God will be just and God will be fair and God will be right in everything he does. All right. Now, let's, let's move, move ahead. I've got, got a lot to do when we get to Romans 1 and 2. Now, we looked at this listing of, of Jesus. Just, it's just a sample. We can go just about throughout the scriptures looking at the idea of, of accountability and judgment coming out of the mouth of Jesus over and over. We just looked at these passages last, the last couple weeks, I guess. and we, we majored in Matthew 25. Remember that? We had two parables. Remember the, what, what were those parables? Remember those? Looked at them last week. We just read through them pretty much. The parable of the ten virgins, right? And then we had the parable of the talents. Remember that? The five, the two, the one, five and the two, they basically doubled. They were responsible and, and produced fruit. They were fruitful, right? We've talked about that. The idea of the virgins, be ready. The idea of the talents, you know, be fruitful. And then the one that had one, he was, you know, he didn't do anything with this. He hid it. And he was called wicked and lazy servant. He was cast in outer darkness, right? And then we talked about the last story there is Jesus giving us kind of a telescopic view into the future to show us that he will be the one to judge all people. He's going to be the judge. He's going to sit in his throne. Now, the way he worded it right here is that the sheep will go to his right and the goats to his left. The sheep being the good, the righteous, the goats being the unrighteous. All right, we looked at all of that the last few weeks. Um, now, the Apostle Paul speaks of eternal judgment as well. Now, I just like this conversation that part of it's recorded. You can go back in Acts 24 and read it. I just want to get to this one idea. When Paul preaches the gospel, now Felix is, is a pagan man. He doesn't know Christ. He's a Roman governor. He's under Caesar. Uh, history tells it that he's, he's kind of close to Caesar's family. He's, he's got a real close relationship to Claudius Caesar, who is about this time. Um, Acts 24, 25, this is Paul talking to this uh, ungodly, he's unknowing, he's, he's ignorant of Christ. Listen to what Paul does. He, he highlights three things to him. Now, as he reasoned about, now Paul reasons with him about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now when I have a convenient time. I will call you. So this is a very wealthy man. This is a man of high prominence in Rome. He's a governor, kind of a governor underneath Caesar. We're not sure what level he is at, 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 through history accounts. But he talks about three things. He, he represents the gospel in three ways, talking about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. I think we've got to be careful to bring all of those elements together when we talk to people about Christ and truth. You know what I'm talking about? That there is a judgment to come. I mean, it's one of the scariest doctrines in all the Bible. But the scarier thing, you'd rather be scared today than then. You know what I'm talking about? So Paul was faithful to talk about the judgment to come, and I believe we need to be faithful to it. I believe we need to be careful how we present it. It's not 
you know, it's not our battering ram to where we beat people over the head with it or just try to scare the liver out of them. You know what I'm talking about? We're not trying to do that, but we do want to bring reality to these things. For sure, for sure. And how does it strike this man? What does it say right there? How did it strike him? Felix was afraid. Mm-hmm. If you'd be the kind of man Felix was and those things were true, you would be afraid too. All right. Let's go into Romans. We're going to spend the most of our time tonight in Romans. Um, basically, what I want to do is read, we're going to read this little passage right here, and then we're going to just talk about just a couple things. We're going to go through the rest of Romans chapter 1, starting verse 18, and we're going to pick up in some in chapter 2 as well. But listen to what it is right here. Listen, listen to these words. And Romans is one of my favorite, favorite books. <laughs> it, it, it really is. It, it is masterful work. Um, it is absolutely genius in its, in its content. It's kind of the, the, people call it like the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. I mean, Paul just starts with, with uh, Christ. He starts with the depravity of man and all the things that are wrong with the world. And he leads us all the way through. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely worthy of a, of a study. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever mined the bottom of Romans. I mean, there are books and books. We could fill libraries full of books written about Romans. It is so, so rich. All right, let's listen to this. Verse 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. What does it mean to suppress? Stop it or hold it down, right? To suppress something. They, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what, be made, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His, God's invisible attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay? Well, let's go back to our notes. We've got some things written down in our notes here. Verse 19, he says, Because of what may be known of God is manifest in them. He's talking about humanity right here. What may be known of God is manifest in them. I believe he's referring right here is that everybody has a part of God in them. Like God has imparted life. Let's say it like that. God has imparted life to every man, every woman, everybody that's ever lived. And with that life and with that soul and with their mind, God has imparted what we call a conscience. Now, what is a conscience? What does that do? What's a conscience do? Tells us right and wrong, you know? And it's kind, of, it's kind of an internal thing. We see this even in our littlest of babies. You see the idea of right and wrong is kind of natural. Now, they don't, they don't know some of the details of morality and things like that, but they know how to sneak. They know how to get what they want, and they'll go around your authority if they can if, if, from the time that they can crawl around. You know what I'm talking about? It's something that's innate in us. God has put it inside of us that, and it's manifested in us. Now, there's something about the conscious. Scripture talks about it. Life kind of tells us this. Uh, uh, the conscious has a volume switch on it and you can learn to turn it down. Or you can keep your conscious very tender. Now, we can go back to children again. We've, we've all known children or raised children 
some that have a very tender heart. We may say it like that. And they're very submissive. They're very obedient. And, you know, Lily was a little bit like that, where I could just look at her and she would just melt in the floor. You know, now she still did wrong things, but I, I could, she, she wasn't hard hearted. Now, I, I got a nephew. I mean, you could beat him with a two by four. Not that we did on Facebook. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, you could wear him out. And he was just, uh, he's, he's 24 now, so we'd laugh about it now. But it wasn't funny back then, I can just tell you. Um, my sister would wear him out. He would just be so defiant. I mean, he's the kid that he and his little cousin, when they were like four years old, both of them got in the minivan. One of them did the steering wheel. They got the keys out of mama's purse. One of them did the steering wheel. The other one did the gas pedal, and they ended up in the pond. <laughs> I mean, that's just the kind of deal. It just go. Anybody know anybody like this? Anybody know anybody just seems to find trouble wherever they go? But, but he was kind of kid that you could get on to him and instead of him backing down he'd swell up anybody ever seen that I mean you would I know nobody has, has these problems and, and I'm not going to mention his name but he is my nephew so you can figure that out you could wear him out and they did several times spank him and he would not cry in front of you I mean you could just wear him out and he would just take it and then he would wander off somewhere and he would go cry. But there was this, now he's not like that now. He's a, he's a great young man now. But we, we all know that, that that idea of conscience, you can turn, in fact, the Bible says that you can even sear your conscience. You can even cut it off. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, to where right is not right anymore, wrong is not wrong in your eyes. But here's a scripture for that one. There is a way that seems right to a man, but that, that way leads to what? Remember that? Leads to destruction. All right? All right. I have to call Caleb and tell, tell him and talk, talk about him. <laughs> he, he watches us sometimes. They live in Montana now. He and his wife are about to have a baby, and we're all happy about that. It's going to be a little girl. And guess when the due date is? April the 19th, my birthday. It is. And that's what I told her. They got to name her Rhonda or something. If she's born on my birthday, but they ain't going for that. What are they naming her? What, what? Paisley? Is that what their name Was it Paisley? Yeah. Okay. Oh, Lord, that sometimes happens, don't it? That's what we all said the other time. You better hope, boy. You better hope. Now, we, we came across, let me pull up my text again. We came across this idea of creation. What may be known of God is manifest in them, but also he talks about creation pay, pray, plays a role in this idea of judgment and the knowledge of God. What role does creation play? What does it say right here? What, all it, verse number 20. What, what does creation reveal to us? I mean, you may not know that his name's Jesus. You may not know the Bible, but you can go outside and there are things that are communicated to you about truth and about God. In fact, just the other night, my goodness, I wanted to call all of you up. I just, it was late at night. It's probably about 930. We got home late and we went on the, yes, yeah, late to me. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't dare call nobody after nine o'clock. Y'all should be in the bed is all I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, them kids ain't going <laughs> to. Yeah. 
But we got, got and walked right behind the house over there in that area that shaded and it was really dark. And just like the heavens were just lit up. I mean, there were more stars than you could count. I mean, it was just as beautiful as it could be. And I, I, I told Sandy when we looked up, I said, that's why we live out here right there. <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Now, what does that communicate to a man or a woman? What does that communicate? It even, may not even have a Bible. What does that communicate? That there's a creator. That, that, that didn't just happen. I mean, you, you can't go down to the hardware store and throw a bomb in there and have a big bang and then a house come out of it. You can't do that. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't do that. You can't go down to the, to the warehouse where they hold all the car parts and, and just have a big bang in the warehouse and then all of a sudden there's, it's, it's a Ford F-150 shows up. It, that ain't gonna happen, is it, Paul? It ain't gonna, so this idea of bang, I mean, it, if there was a big bang, it's cause God said bang, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I don't know what he said. Well, he said, let there be light. We know that much. But that communicates something to us as humans. That we have a creator, that there's an intelligence there. there. There is a God there that is a lot smarter than us, lots more powerful. In fact, he says it like this. He says that, that his invisible attributes, that's his character and his nature, are clearly seen through creation. And it may not be a starry sky at night, but it could just be a beautiful sunrise. It could just be the study of a plant or a tree. You ever sit down and just study the beauty of a plant or something? Just be contemplative about... You ever sit down and watch ants on an anthill or just something, something that's just absolutely marvelous about these things? Okay? I love it. Hey, don't tell nobody. My thing is hummingbirds. I love my little hummingbirds. I just love them. We had about 30 of them this year. Uh, and they are amazing little creatures. I, I just sit there and we had coffee every morning during, this, during the uh, fall. They, they are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. And look, look at what it says. Here, here's what we understood or understand by looking at creation. It's not the full revelation, but it's part of the revelation of God that we can get. His eternal power... Through the things that are made, we understand God's eternal power and His divinity, or Godhead, it says right here. Maybe a better translation is, is that He's just God. We understand that there is a God. So that they are without excuse. Hmm. Creation's talking to us. It has a role to play in this idea of judgment. All right. Let, let, let's move on. We gotta, there's lots more we could talk about right there for sure, for sure. All right, let's see what we got. Let's go to verse 22 and 23. 22 and 23 of Romans 1. I'm talking about men and women, humans, professing to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and the birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. All right, now, now he's talking about this idea. I think I got some notes there for you. Idolatry of all kinds, okay? Is that we change. We see this heavenly being or his, his, his attributes, his work, his nature, his power. We see that. But then we think we're smart, so we say that this God looks like a golden calf. Or this God looks like an eagle with a, a goat body. You know, there's all kinds of pagan symbols and images and things like that. And man has not ceased then to create some sort of image 
We call idolatry, the Bible calls it idolatry, which is like one of the sins that God really comes down on, for Israel especially. Idolatry of all kinds, in statues, whatever it might be, carved out of wood or stone. Paul addresses a lot of that in, in his letters as well. Statues, but idolatry is not just in worshiping a stone statue that's shaped like an eagle or whatever. Idolatry can be worshiping a wrong idea about God. Can you see that, Paul? Could be, it could be just a, a wrong idea that we, we contemplate. Now, here's, here's the truth. See, we are made in God's image and likeness. But the lie that comes about because of sin, we flip that and we fashion a God into our image and likeness. That's what he's talking about right here. All right, so idolatry is a result of sin and God's going to judge that very severely. Um, hey, it does matter who your God is. If you don't believe it, go do some traveling in some other nations. It really matters who your God is. You know? What's the next verse? Again, lots more there, but let's, I got, got some place I need to go. 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So now what does he say right here? God also gave them up to uncleanness. It says to what right there? He gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up. Now what does it mean when God gives somebody up? You're in trouble. You know, there's no saying that said that God doesn't have to turn us over to the devil. All he really has to do is turn us over to ourselves. And we'll wreck the whole ship. You know what I'm saying? We'll, we'll, the train will come off the tracks, I can promise you. And when God pulls himself out, we, we see this in the Old Testament time and time again when Israel is judged. You, you know, God just kind of turns them over to what they want. I think that's a lot what we're seeing in our nation now. Is, is It may not be what you and I want, but a, a majority of people, and that's what we, we're part of a democratic republic, so it's kind of voted on the majority type thing. God sometimes gives us what we want, especially when it comes to leadership. When God gets ready to judge a nation, guess what he allows to happen? Incompetent, corrupt leaders to come to power because that's what the people want. And so God says, is that what you really want? I, I, now, God will struggle and strive with people, but then there's a time where his cup gets full and he says, all right, I'm going to give you up to what you want. I think I've had to deal with that personally from time to time in, in my life, that especially in my early days uh, when I was rebellious and in sin. I believe God gave me up to what I want and I got a belly full and almost wrecked myself and it about destroyed my own life. He gave me up to myself. Okay. Now, what two exchanges were made in verse 25? What two exchanges were made? Did you see that? There are two exchanges that are made. They exchanged the truth of God for... Isn't it interesting? It says the lie. The lie that's been all the way back 
Where'd that lie start? Started in a garden called Eden with a snake and a tree. At the tree of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil. It started back there. That's, that's the lie. That's the lie that you will be like God. Just listen to what I'm saying. That's what the enemy's always told everybody. Now it comes in all kinds of forms. You can, you, you're your, the captain of your own ship. You can do your own destiny. You're in charge of your own life. That's the big lie is that you can handle this. And you can be successful without God. You don't need him. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So the first exchange is they exchanged truth for the lie. The second exchange is they worshiped the creature. Who's the creature? That's us. That's humanity. They worship themselves. The, the creature or, or the creation. Maybe, maybe it's even more beyond than just us. Maybe it's creation itself. There's a lot of religions that do that too. You know? But they, they, the second exchange they do is they worship the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Now you said Satan, that, that could probably fit too. They worship the wrong God who was the created being. Questions before we go? Go further. Those are exchanges that people make, but I'm just going to tell you they're bad trades. I mean, they're awful trades. But we see it time and time again in people's lives, don't we? All right, let's go to verse 26. Again, we, we've got a phrase that's going to pop up. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Now listen to this. This gets a little harem scarum here. He's going to talk about these vile passions. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Okay. So for this reason, God gave them up. There it is again, right? And he gave them up to what? What did he give them up to? Vile passion. So God, God just says, all right, you want to drive? I'm going to take my hands off the steering wheel. And he's going to give people up. To these vile passions. Now, what were the vile passions that were described? Homosexuality and lesbianism, right? Okay. Is that a, is that something that's going on in our country today? It's kind of center stage, isn't it? It's kind of center stage with people trying to get recognition, trying to get what they call equality. Never mind, they can still go get gas. They can still have jobs. They can do that, but they don't want equality. They want to rewrite the whole understanding of what it is to be man and woman. That's just what's going on. I kid. Like a transgender person, they said. Something like that. That's what I heard. And, and not, not just that, that, that the, uh, the, the idea, I mean, Lily just a couple years ago went through her freshman orientation. And the stuff that at, at the state university, she goes to Kennesaw State, the stuff that they had to she had to take in orientation was this idea of all the different genders 
I don't even remember how many there were now, but it seemed like it was 62 or 82 different genders that are recognized. And they've added more. They're adding more every day. I mean, she read stuff to me. I, I mean, I, stuff I'd never heard of, to be honest with you. I mean, just, just. I mean, I, I, the only word I can say is it, it's, it's the word vile. I mean, it's just it was just the most grotesque. I mean, from from all kinds of different perverted sexual, sensual type behaviors to animals, just none. I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, stuff that we wouldn't even dare even speak in mixed company. And they're teaching this to my daughter. I'm glad she knows the difference, but not everybody does. And so God says this, I'm going to turn you over to your vile passions. Let me ask you this. Does it seem like, I'm not saying God is, no, don't get the idea that God is giving up on us, but does it seem like that God is giving us to this stuff? God gave them up. What's happening in our nation? Because of all the things we just read before about, you know, not worshiping the creator, exchanging truth for lie. God gives people up to vile passions. Now, let, let me say this to you. When you see lesbianism and sodomy openly practiced and celebrated, the people and the society are already under divine judgment. Because this is what this is. This is all part of a judgment right here now. God giving up. When you see, so what does that tell you about America? What do you think about America? Hey, I don't think judgment's coming. I think it's already happening. Now that's not something I glory in, but God's going to have to set this thing right. It's so far off track now. He's going to have to intervene and set it right. And until people get a belly full of all of this vile mess, it's not going to be right. I'll just be honest with you, when I was reading through this, I was reading through all this Romans 1, studying today, and I just wept. It's happening, folks. It's happening. All right, now let's, let's get some more text. 28. 28 through, what's the next grouping through 31? Is that what it is? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Seen a little bit more of that these days, aren't we? Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. I mean, they're going to create something new. It's like this gender thing. They're just creating it. I mean, just pulling it out of the air. And, and they're the people that claim to be scientific, really. They're inventing this stuff. They're inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents, Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. That's a pretty dark list, isn't it? It's a pretty dark list. Now, this, this is what I want you to see here. There's a lot to see there. 
a lot of stuff that's, that's it, it, I, I call it like the downward spiral. It's just like it just goes, shoot, 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 shoot. It's down. What does sin do to the mind? It says God gave them over to what? What kind of mind did he say? Did, did you see that in verse 28, I think it was? It was a, a debased, your, 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 passage said, your translation says a reprobate mind. Gave them over to a debased mind. Now what is, it, what is something debased? What does that mean? It's evil. The base is, is like, here's where it should be. If it's debased, it's way down here. It's low. You've heard somebody say, well, you just got a dirty mind. Well, that's kind of what this is saying. I mean, it's everything that goes through their filter gets contaminated or corrupted. Sin, what does sin do to the mind? I mean, it's telling us right here. What does sin do to the mind? There's something we got to know about sin because sin is, has a transform. I mean, we talk about the Holy Spirit having a transforming effect. Sin has a transforming effect as well. What does sin do to the mind? It just degrades it. It just puts it in this downward spiral. You know people, maybe, I was, hey, I, 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 I live some of that stupid lifestyle. Unfortunately, you know, things in that list, most of us have done some of that stuff. You know, why? Because sin got a hold of us and it took us. Old, old preacher said that sin or uh, take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. It always does. It'll, it'll do it in me. It has done it in me. It'll do it in you too. Sin causes the mind to go to a dark, downward spiral. And it literally, I mean, I don't know how to say it, but it literally steals a person's intelligence. Yeah, you wouldn't even think you would do it. You know, the scripture talks about sin almost personified, like it has a power that it gets over people, and only the power of Christ can break that power of sin. You know, when it gets a hold of somebody, you know what it can do. I mean, Lord, what are we just witnessing our community just in the last week or so? It's unbelievable. Just in little old Gilbert Town, you know, right here. And anybody that gives himself over to sin is capable of anything. They really are. Whether it's you or me. You know, so be careful. Be careful. And then what is the mind and behavior then filled with? Well, let's fill with that whole listing that we got. Then the mind and behavior begins to, the whole life begins to be filled with all these things. And it's quite a wreck. It's quite a mess. All right, for time's sake, we got to keep going here. All right. 32. This is the last verse in chapter 1. Who, these, these folks that are in this sinful downward spiral, and before we get too judgmental, that we don't want to walk this path either. You know what I'm talking about? Knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Oh my. And this is where I whip the most today, right over that. It said they not only do those things, but they set their stamp of approval. Now, how would a government set its stamp of approval on something like that? How would it do it? It would pass legislation, wouldn't it? To approve that particular lifestyle. You know what? 
it wasn't too long ago on the books. The stuff that we just read is actually illegal. I mean, it's in our life, in my lifetime. That stuff used to be illegal. I mean, not, not just, and why, would it, why was it illegal? Because righteous people know that if those things get into a society, it will absolutely destroy not just a person, but it will destroy communities and societies. And if you don't believe it, I could take you downtown Memphis to some places where those things are happening. Absolutely not safe to go anywhere by yourself. I don't care if you've got a pistol. I don't care if you've got a dog. I don't care what you've got. Because that kind of activity has taken over entire communities. It is not safe for anybody. You know what I'm talking about? We don't have to drive too far for that either. I don't have to take it to Memphis. I'll probably just take you about 10 minutes from here somewhere. Hmm. It's sobering, but we need to hear it. People practice these evil things that they know are deserving of death. And here's my little question and my little, you know how I do these little silly word things. How do we know that they know that these things are wrong? How do, they, how do we know that they know that it's wrong? Okay, because he says that they know they're deserving of death when they practice these things. What happens if one of these bad things, like, like the malicious behavior, what happens if one of these bad things are done to them? What do they want then? You know, they want to be able to do it. It's like folks talking on the TV screen. They want to be able to do certain things, but if you do it, they, they want you to pay, right? So we know that, see, people actively do sin, and when they do sin, they want mercy when they're busted. But when you do sin and they see it, they want the book thrown at you. So that's how, that's how we know that they know it's wrong. Does that make sense to you? And they want your acceptance. Mm -hmm. Like that helps them feel better when they're not doing the right thing. And, and that, that's where the next point is. And, and they approve of those who practice sin. That's kind of what's happening, isn't it? It's not that just sin is all over the place. It's on every corner. It's in every heart, really. It's that people are actually putting their stamp of approval on sinful practices. And now saying that our children need to be indoctrinated on these things over my dead body. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for mine. You know, my kid's grown now. All of them are grown. But if I had a little one, there ain't no, I'd do whatever I possibly could do to get them out of that system so that their mind is not filled with all the trash and all the craziness, if at all possible. Or I'd have some conversations with teachers because there's still some good godly teachers in some of that system as well. You all probably got some over there where you are at. But you know what I'm talking about? Because, right, see, they're bringing approval to all the things. They're rewriting our history in order to approve the things that everybody else throughout all of history have said are wrong. And so if we stand against all the history and we rewrite what we want, you get exactly what Romans 1 talks about. I'm just saying. Mm. Did, did we get paid Friday? We got paid Friday. Okay. Make sure. <laughs> Lord, help us. No, I, I'm, I'm glad we're at a church where we can talk about these things from a biblical standpoint. You know what I'm talking about? And not from just right, like what we, 
met at the council and decided. I don't care what the council meets, it decides it, what Romans 1 and 2 decides. That's what's going to be decided. You know what I'm talking about? What the Bible says, it don't really matter what we say. Hopefully we agree with it and we say yes and amen. But if you say, oh, we don't believe this, that will stand over your grave and it will hit you in the face on judgment day. I can pray for anybody, for all of us. You know what I'm talking about? Verse 1 through 3 of chapter 2. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man or woman, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Mm, seeing too much of that these days, aren't we? But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, who you judge, those practicing such things, and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? Hmm. Let's go over here and look at this. All of us are inexcusable before God. We're without excuse. Excuses are not going to work on judgment day, is it? Well, I, I was raised in Memphis. I was this or I was that. We just... Mm -mm. Isn't it interesting? It says that God judges according to truth. Well, if he judges according to truth, then we better know what the truth is. And what did Jesus say about the truth? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I hear Aunt Esther saying that on Fred Sanford. You know what I'm saying? You, Fred, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, I hear her slinging that purse. Anyway, yeah, good going. You do it, girl. Talk to him. But Jesus said that. John 8. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth that you know will set you free. There's freedom in truth. See, everybody wants to suppress the truth as if it, the truth is the bad guy. The truth is actually what liberates the soul. In this country, especially. And then in verse... Three, he said, no one will escape the judgment of God. Nobody's going to escape. Not me, you, the next guy, the next guy. Nobody's going to escape it. All right. Let, let's, let's go. With, I just got a couple more verses to look at. And I'll try to pick up the pace. I know you got to get the kids to school. I'm tired. I had a long day. All right. Verse four says this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Talking about God, God's goodness, his forbearance and his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So what leads us to repentance? It's the goodness of God. Now see, it's not the hardness that all of these things are going to really catch God's wrath. That's not what transforms the soul. What literally transforms the soul is somebody comes in contact with the goodness of God. Right? So we've got to be proclaimers of the goodness of God. Now, we, we find people in their sins. We might be there. But what's the good news for somebody that's tasting the bad news? That's what we need to learn to talk about. You know, got to be real about the bad news. But it's the good news that transforms somebody because it's the goodness of God that changes the heart. And don't despise the goodness of God. Don't wink at it. Don't, don't blink at it. Don't push it away. Embrace it. That's what he's telling us. All right, verse 5 and 6. Lots more there. You're not too weary, are you? You all right? But in, uh, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent or unrepentant heart, 
You are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. All right. What does he say right here? You're treasuring or storing up wrath in the day of wrath. God keeps records on all of us. You know? It's not going to be a good day when that day of wrath comes and the books are open. It's not going to be a good day. All right? Each one is going to be judged according to what? His or her deeds, right? What did you do? And God's going to judge you according to truth and according to your actions, right? And the last of it. And we could spend a whole sermon on these three verses, really. In which we will look at some of this next week. Eternal life to those, verse 7. Eternal life to those who by patience, patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right. Did you see it? Did you see it there? What is the reward for those who continue in the faith and do good? What's the reward? Eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus talked about giving those who follow him, those who believe in him, those who have received his forgiveness in his life, that they would not just step into a good life here as far as like the goodness of God being on their life, but they would step into what he calls eternal life. We don't have time to deal with all that, but you get the idea. And they're also going to receive glory, honor, and peace. That for those who do good and serve God through Jesus, God's going to honor them. Now think about that. That's going to be a good day. All right? We'll go to the next. What is the destiny of those who do not obey the truth? Well, he lists four things right there. Indignation, which is strong displeasure. And who's that displeasure going to be coming from? It's going to be coming from God, isn't it? Now, there's one fight. I, 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 I'm not scared of any man. I'll, I'll fight most of them if I had to. But there's one fight you don't want to pick. Because it's a fight that can't, none of us win. You don't want to pick a fight with God. They'll, they'll get indignation. They'll get wrath or punishment. Tribulation, which is trouble. Anguish, which is suffering. And then in verse number 11, the apostle says this. He says, for there is no partiality with God. I think the old King James says that God is not a respecter of persons. So no, no, no partiality simply means this. There's no favoritism. God will judge everybody according to truth. There's no favoritism. There's no prejudices in God. God's not going to single anybody out. He's not, he's not going to pay attention to the color of your skin or what nation you're from. He's not even worried about none of that stuff that we're all consumed with nowadays. It's insane how we're consumed with all this. God will judge without favoritism, without prejudice, and there will be no ability to bribe the judge. He's impartial. He goes down the line of what is right concerning every man. And in fact, it's what people ask me at gravesides and when we know we bury people that, that 
is questionable about their salvation, things like that. You know what my answer always is? I don't put them in heaven or hell. I just say they're in the hands of a righteous judge. He'll do what's right by them. No matter who it is, you know. And our only hope, beloved, our only hope, the wages of sin is death. That's what all that is in a society, in a person's life. All that stuff we just read is death. I don't mean to be so dark, but it just is real. It's, it's real life stuff. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the only hope we got. Amen. Well, let's pray. Hi, Lord. It's a lot of, a lot of truth. It's hard to digest on a personal level it's hard for us to digest for our country's sake but lord we just agree with you that you're right you do everything right your word is truth and lord if we're going to have any standing in this life or the life to come we're going to have to follow your truth so i, I pray that you would help us as your followers to to be great stewards of your truth great stewards of this kingdom knowledge that you bring to everybody that will bother to read your word and study it and learn it. We need this truth in our life, Lord. These are realities that no people around us, most of them, don't want to hear, Lord. I pray you would help us to be good stewards, and I pray you would help us to get your message across clearer with a lot of mercy and a lot of grace, but a lot of truth. Help us, Lord. Help us not to cower in this day and age where there's so much pressure going to be put on us. Help us not to cower from truth. Help us be very wise with it, but help us not to cower and compromise. We thank you, Lord. And we just declare that you are our only hope, Jesus. We bless you. We thank you. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Thank you you snatched us out of that whole cycle, actually. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.